Welcome to Pilgrim Processing on Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green and I'm your host. And here we are at Saturday, March the 20th. We're a good way through Lent. We're getting closer and closer to the celebration of Easter, and that's always an exciting thing, but we don't want to rush on ahead and jump into that prior to considering what does it mean, for instance, like today's lessons, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to believe? And what does it mean to believe when it's difficult to believe? <clears throat> so we're going to start with the Jeremiah lesson, which is Jeremiah 23, 9 through 15. And this lesson is spoken, remember yesterday we were speaking about the shepherds. Today he's going to focus on two particular groups of shepherds over Israel. He's going to focus on the prophets and the priests. And he begins this lesson with this, these words concerning the prophets. And these are words from Jeremiah at the beginning of this. My heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. You could see that, that the difficulty of being a prophet would be that you would hear things from the Lord that you wouldn't necessarily want to hear, and then you'd be required to go and give those words to the people in some way. And so Jeremiah, it's a difficult life for Jeremiah, an incredibly difficult life to be a prophet like Jeremiah who is pronouncing woes upon the people and destruction upon the people, and especially when God has already told him they're not going to listen to you. They will not heed the words that you speak to them. And so he, Jeremiah is speaking the words of God. He's seeing the same things that God sees. He's seeing the failure to repent, the hardness of the hearts of both the peoples and the leaders. And here he speaks directly to the leaders and says, both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. So it's not just the stuff that they're doing out there. It's not just the Baal worship that's happening outside. No, he says, even in my house I have found their evil. So even those who are closest to him, those who are most responsible for teaching the people and, and instructing them in the way of the Lord, even among them, it's an awful thing. He says, you know, in the priests of Israel, I, or prophets of Israel, uh, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal, and they led my people astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. That's a deep and heavy charge to lay against the priests. Remember way back in Samuel, when Samuel was a boy and was first heard the word of the Lord that came to him, and that word was against the house of his master, the priest, Eli, and his sons. And what he saw was adultery, sexual immorality among the sons of Eli. And so judgment was pronounced against the house of Eli and that they would lose their sort of hegemony as priests and they would no longer serve the Lord in the temple. And here he's accusing them of exactly the same thing. And remember those, those sons didn't just, weren't just cavorting with the women. They were also treating the sacrifice carelessly. They were taking their portion from the Lord's portion. They were choosing the chief 
um, parts of the sacrifice, and they were taking them for themselves. And here we see that same thing when the priests and the prophets no longer care about things like, well, righteousness and godliness, then the people will follow along very quickly and very easily, or they'll go somewhere else, and they'll they'll pursue godliness and righteousness on their own, because people won't put up with it. If they have a heart for God, they will leave those churches, they'll leave those places where that kind of thing is going on, where, where the Bible is not treated with respect, where it's not treated as the Word of God, people will leave. And here with this comparison to Sodom and Gomorrah, he's obviously begins to speak about committing adultery, their sexual immorality in, um, in view in this thing, and they walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from evil. And how do you strengthen the hands of evildoers? That, that is, you fail to convict them. You fail to speak the truth so that they don't even know that what they're doing is wrong. And this thing about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, that I've heard more recently that the, um, the actual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah had to do with the failure to be hospitable because the men wanted to bring out these visitors and let us have sex with them. And, and so they were inhospitable to strangers in a way that Mo, or Abraham had been hospitable to these same strangers in the lesson directly before that. But this story right here and the statement made by Jeremiah tell us that there's way more than inhospitality in view here. There's something very different from that. There's a, there's a sort of giving over to evil in every possible form. That's the problem. It's not hospitality. That may be a part of it, certainly, but there's an immorality, and it's a sexual immorality that's in view in this because Jeremiah has brought that up first in this lesson. And then the worst thing that he can say with them, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink for the from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. And it's easy for us to look at the church today and see in many places where it has so compromised with the world and so given up on the Word of God as authoritative in any way that we have allowed that ungodliness of all sorts to go out into the land. And, and I'm not speaking just of sexual immorality, obviously. There's a lot more to it than that. There's much more involved than that. And so we have to be clear as the people of God, especially those who are the purveyors of the Word of God, we have to be clear in our teaching. If we want to see a godly nation, and if we care truly about the people under our care, then we'll tell them the truth, and that's the truth of the Word of God. Jesus has difficulties obviously here with his people. Many people have walked away from him already in this moment after he has talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and many of his disciples, and there they're not specifically speaking about the twelve. There are other disciples rather than just the ones that Jesus specifically called to come and be the twelve who were closest to him. These other disciples heard it and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And it is. It absolutely is a hard saying, particularly in the context where Jesus says it, because they don't know about the crucifixion. They don't know about the symbolism of the body and blood. They're thinking through this and trying to make sense of, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's, it's, it's not just a hard saying, it's an impossible saying to come to grips with, um, particularly prior 
to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so Jesus then looks at the people knowing they were grumbling. Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Which some of them are going to see. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And then John parenthetically tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. These people have come a long way with him. They, they've believed and they've believed and they've believed, but now we've come to a place where Jesus says something that's, that's difficult to accept, and can they continue to believe, or do they have to believe in this moment that he's more or less a madman, suggesting some sort of cannibalism to him? And so these people are going to make the decision to walk away rather than to trust him in this moment that there's something they don't understand, that there's something beyond their ability to understand at the moment. And Jesus is continually leading them and leading us, frankly, in our own lives into deeper and deeper understanding, but he requires us to have the faith to stay with him in order to receive that greater truth. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. That's, those are important words. Again, as I mentioned yesterday, it's important that we always remember that it's the Holy Spirit working within us that allows us to believe and to know with certainty that these things are indeed true. It's not us. It's not anything particular to us. We're not particularly intelligent. That's part of Paul's argument with the Corinthian people, actually, is, is that, hey, none of you were anything much at all, and you're still not. It's God working in you by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth. That's important here. And so that's what Jesus is saying. And then he finally has to turn. It says many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And he looks at the twelve, and he says, do you want to go away as well? Peter said, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. It's a remarkable statement of faith as they watch all these people walk away. It's a difficult thing in difficult times when people begin to leave. And especially in our world today where we're taught that the bigger the crowd, the more uh, the, the more important your ministry might be. Well, sometimes it's difficult when you watch people walk away, and, and, it, and it's heartbreaking to see people leave. But it doesn't matter. The crowds don't matter. Jesus always talks about the, the necessity of believing. He holds that as a value much higher than popularity and much higher than anything else, is, is he wants people to believe. And he's calling those to continue. And he's always calling us to come up and come higher. And he even points here and said, didn't I choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? And so we, we've always, I think, got to be aware that, that we stand on tenuous ground. And, and it's the ground of faith. And we're always called to the ground of faith. But the faith has to have right content. We don't know exactly what Judas's problem was, but, but it could well have been that he wanted a particular kind of Messiah. He wanted the same Messiah everybody else wanted, the Messiah who would bring um, military power and might and overcome all the nations of the world and prove at the end of the day that Judaism was the only true 
thing in the world. And so Jesus wouldn't give him that is one of the suggestions that people have is that he wouldn't become the Messiah that he wanted him to be. And therefore he attempted to force his hand by selling him out. That was actually, he saw that as some sort of a righteous thing. He was attempting to force things to happen his way, not God's way. And that's the thing that Paul's really speaking about in this Romans passage today, too. He begins by by speaking some of the same kind of language that Jeremiah uses. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And what's the source of that? It's because his brothers, according to the flesh, the Jews had been accursed and cut off from Christ because of their failure to believe. And so he is experiencing the same pain that that Jeremiah begins his passage with today. And, and what he's trying to tell the people is, is that I have honest anguish over this. I am not lying to you just in order to, to say, oh, I, yeah, 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 I really associate with my brothers and, and it really bothers me. I don't hate the Jews. I love them. They're my brothers according to the flesh. And he says, you know, the glory of Israel, all that, that God has, all his best, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises, the patriarchs, even Jesus comes from them. And it breaks my heart that he's been rejected. And he said, you know, it's, it's not like the word of God has failed, but the reality is not all who are descended from Israel, he says, belong to Israel. We don't, you know, I heard this a long time ago, God doesn't have any grandchildren. And it's true. It's absolutely true. It's heartbreaking to see family members who don't believe. And we always need to pray for those family members who don't believe. But the reality is is that, that there are no spiritual grandchildren. I don't have that to bequeath you. You have to grasp it by faith yourself. And he goes on to give, an, give the example of um, Jacob and Esau. And it was God's will that the older would serve the younger. And his ways are inscrutable, but they're not capricious. It's, it's not that God is being unjust and he chooses one over the other for no apparent reason. He just prefers that one. No, there's something else. There's something that's, that's not knowable to us, that's not obvious to us, that causes God to choose one over the other. It's, God's not like us. He doesn't have favorites in that way. He loves all those he created, all those who were created in the image of God. But, but there's something else at work there in God's election, something that we can't know and we won't know. But, and Paul, at the end, he, he's not making the point that God just, you know, sort of randomly chooses. He says he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he will harden whomever he wills. And, and he's going to go on with the argument that he's making here. We're going to see more argument about why God might have done these things. But Paul obviously grieves over the lack of faith among his own people. And we should all grieve over the lack of faith among those who are near and dear to us, beginning there and then with the rest of the world. And we should take pity on the world that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, that doesn't know the truth. We should take pity upon them.
we shouldn't hate them. That's not what's going on, and it's not the way we should feel. If we are truly God's people, then we will have mercy on those who don't know the truth and whose eyes have not been opened because we never know when that might happen. And we might call that one brother or sister.